0: One. Evolution is more than a theory. It is a fundamental scientific principle. You no, know, there's a scientific term for that. It's called baloney. And we are so stupid that we think that just because telephones and computers and cars are intelligently designed, that means we are too. Well, we're not. I don't trust that Richard Dawkins. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth, is the only logical explanation, unless you don't want to believe in science and logic. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Frio.
1: No! We are not gonna talk about politics. Hold on. On second thought. (laughs) This is Wretched Radio. Have you noticed we're in political season, which seems to be a longer season than the non-election season, just the same. You're being bombarded to your inbox with political requests for cash. you see the YouTube clips, the news stories, blogging, all kinds of talk about politics because we do indeed find it fascinating. And yet I can't help but observe an awful lot of Christian chatter sounds no different than secular talk. We're talking about the same issues, but I hear very little biblical filtering of what politicians are saying or doing. We hear a lot about what's happening on the campaign trail. Who's rising in the polls? Who's going down on Christian websites, Christian media outlets? But where's the Christianity We need to recognize every single thing that is discussed in politics. The Bible does have something to say. Maybe not directly. It does have something to say. Why don't we put, for instance, the war in Ukraine through a biblical filter? Now, we'll let the secularists do their political punditry on the subject. Does the Bible say nothing about war and what is just and what is not? Does the Bible not talk about wealth redistribution? Of course it does. Does the Bible talk about tax rates? Yeah, actually, it it does. So everything that we see in politics, we should indeed be putting through a Christian filter. Having said that, as a rule, we're not going to be talking much about politics here on Wretched Radio. We will talk about it when it is expressly Christian. Please note my aforementioned diatribe that all issues that are political have a biblical perspective. But that doesn't mean we have to talk about every single political undertaking campaign debate that takes place. But we will talk about the big stuff. And the big stuff, believe it or not, remains the subject of anthropology. You say, I don't recall that being a Christian issue. It should be. Our view of man, it is very, very bad. It is all about expressing your autonomous self. And it doesn't matter if it shortens your life, ends up taking your life, destroying your life and civilization with it as long as it makes you happy. That's a low anthropology, and we see that all throughout our society these days. You can mutilate your body as long as it supposedly makes you happy. Happy. We are suffering from a very low view of man and even lower view of God, but a low view of man. And if there is an anthropological subject that should still be of interest to Christians, it is the issue of human life. Don't know if you saw the debate that took place last week. Rhonda Santis got sworn at a lot (laughs) because... He made a comment about life that, oh, liberal people disagreed with vehemently and profanely. I believe in a culture of life. Uh, I was proud to sign
2: the Heartbeat Bill. Uh, I remember one of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the
1: sonograms of all three of my kids. What the Democrats are. Now, before we get to the Democrats. The sonogram or the the pictures that are taken of babies still a profoundly helpful tool, which encourages me to encourage you to consider supporting preborn ministries preborn ministries and their network clinics they are giving away free ultrasounds to women, but they do cost something it's twenty eight dollars an ultrasound, and just as you heard Governor DeSantis say his view of life was profoundly changed when he saw the baby in the womb. When you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat. Would you please consider supporting Preborn? It's a great ministry of life. It has a high anthropology, shares the gospel with women and with the dads. preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Back to the governor. Democrats are trying to do on this issue is wrong to allow abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. I Whoop, well, there it is right there. Democrats want abortion up to birth. I can't share with you the number of memes that followed the governor's comment because they're typically laced with the F-bomb. I mean, really, there's no... It's becoming one of my bugaboo issues. We will bump into people, adults... People who they've got jobs, their shoes are tied, they're, they've got a haircut, but they drop the F-bomb indiscriminately. And I'm not just talking about the guys, it's the gals too. Drives me bonkers. Why would you think that I want to hear your profanity, let alone have my wife hear your profanity? Oh yeah, it's because that's the sea they swim in. It is profanity laced. That's just lingua franca. For them. And so it was, Democrats responded and said, No way. You can't name a single Democrat who wants abortion up until birth. The folks at Not the Bee asked a really good, powerful question in response, why not? Why not? What what voodoo, what fairy dust gets sprinkled on a child the moment before he or she passes through the birth canal versus, I don't know, a month earlier than that? Two months three months nine months why what's the problem with abortion up to birth if it is the location of the baby that it is not fully formed it can't survive on its own perhaps well why why can't we take the life up until the birth of the child Well, they know that that ain't going to sell. I don't know how they feel about it. I can't read their hearts, but they know that that sounds horrific because it is barbaric that you would like to take the life of a child up until birth. No Democrat has ever said that. Well, no Democrat, except for all of the Democratic politicians you're about to hear. We won't play all of it in a. Five minute video montage of Democrats saying no restrictions.
2: Do you support any restrictions on abortion?
1: I don't. I've always been in the
2: third trimester. Do you think there should be any limitation on abortions? uh, No, I do not. Up till now, my understanding
1: is there wasn't a limit on when in pregnancy a woman could receive an abortion. Have you set any limit? There are no limits.
2: Is there a cutoff for you before that point?
1: No, to me, it's it, it's a reproductive, it's a healthcare decision. It's up to women to make that decision. Where it's obvious
2: that a woman is about to give birth. She has physical signs of, of that she is about to give a birth. Would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? My bill would allow that, yes. Virginia's governor says he has no regrets on his comments earlier this week defending abortion, even as a baby is being born.
1: If a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable, Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired, and then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mothers.
2: Are you for what he said, or late-term abortion, or the moments that he was talking about where you would keep a woman comfortable after she was giving
0: birth in case she wanted to abort her third-term child? I don't know all his comments, but what I do know is that I am for a woman having the right to make a choice about her own
2: state lawmakers in new york approved a law permitting abortion in the state up until
1: birth cuomo applauded the legislation and marked the occasion by lighting the spire of the one world trade center pink to celebrate eight months into pregnancy should a woman be allowed legally to have an abortion again I've told you I believe woman's right to choose, period.
2: At the Capitol today, a House committee approved a bill that would remove... Rest- all
1: righty, I think we get the point. That goes on for three more minutes. Suddenly, liberals are squawking. Oh, no, we've never said that we believe in abortion up to birth. Well, first of all, that's just not true. Second of all, and this might just be the more important point when it comes to trying to defend human life. Why? What is your problem with taking the life 10 seconds before the child is born? Wasn't there another debate where somebody tried to, okay, so at what point, when when the, the baby's head is cresting, the head is out the torso if there's a toe remaining inside of the woman can the doctor still take the life of the child and i can't remember who the individual was but this is is all ridiculous they're being wildly inconsistent and it's an opportunity not just to play the gotcha game citing the clips that you just heard but asking the question why this is a reminder to always jump on our sled and ride it all the way down the hill to a victory regarding life size. Since when do we kill small children versus big people? Level of development. A toddler isn't fully developed, we don't kill it. Environment, what does location have to do with the value of life? Well, degree of dependence, it, it, it's, it needs the mother and so do toddlers the life issue it can always be one by remembering we need to jump on our sled and ride it this is wretched radio sorry to ask you to do some Arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby courtesy of an ultrasound from preborn. us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched slash wretched
2: question are you tired of the same old boring tv shows well there is something that's not like anything else on christian tv it's transformed and it's back for season number two You get to be a fly on the wall as you witness real biblical counseling sessions, tackling issues like depression, anxiety, OCD, and others. These are real people with real issues being offered real solutions by our hosts, Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson. So if you're looking for something different, you know, a show that glorifies God and demonstrates the sufficiency of his word, then Transform is for you. It's a -a one-of-a-kind production that provides the hope and relief that only the Bible can give. The world is full of hurting people, even Christians, and many are completely unaware of biblical counseling and the answers it can provide. So join us for Transform Season 2, the show that will transform your walk with Christ and leave a profound and lasting impact on your life. Get your hands on it now and also consider grabbing the Sunday School curriculum for your church. You can find it at transform.org or the Wretched Store at wretched.org.
1: You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur Study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture and all of a sudden you hear... Everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines? They typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing. $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org/slash Bible.
0: Know your church fathers. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John and the Bishop of Smyrma. He was a staunch defender of orthodoxy, combating the Gnostic heresies. Before his death as a martyr, Polycarp proclaimed, 86 years I have served Christ, and He has done me no evil. How could I curse my King who saved me? This
1: is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Anthropology and architecture? This is a Wretched Radio, a very big need of our day, not just out there, but inside of our churches, is to have a correct understanding of man, a balanced understanding, because we recognize we're on this side of the fall. Yep, we're totally depraved sinners, and yet we're image bearers of God, and we have attributes that animals and plants don't possess. That means we're different. We're a special creation. We are the cream of the creative crop. And we need to remember that. We also need to remember that virtually everything we see has a worldview behind it. Consider music. Go back to the 20s and the 30s. We would sing patriotic songs. It would come across the wireless. You would hear songs about romance. Do you remember even in the 70s, Chuck Mangione never sang a note. It was just music. We could just listen to a catchy tune and be satisfied with that. Well, music today is different. It's typically vulgar. It's very sexual. Even some of the benign stuff on country radio, it typically has just a little bit of subtext to it. Now, what happened between Pat Boone and Garth Brooks, that's the best I could come up with. That's as relevant as I am. What happened? Well, worldviews changed. How did how did Elvis get thrust into popular society and accepted? Well, it's because worldviews were changing. That goes for music. It goes for art. This is why we have different periods of art. This is why we don't merely have stick figures. We've progressed in our ability, certainly, to present art, but our worldview has changed, too. I think the best, well, there's, well, oh, there's, well, actually, there's three. Yeah, every era speaks something. Formerly, before the, let's just say the Impressionist era, we would try to make things as beautiful as possible uh, to reflect, hopefully, something that we that we believe was designed by God, that is informed by God, and therefore should somehow reflect God. Well, that started to change as the world became more godless and secularism started to gain some popularity. And so what did we see about art changing from truth-based to kind of fuzzy? You get it. It's It's a lily pad pond. It's a bridge. Okay, got it. But it's fuzzy. Why? Because the worldview said the truth is fuzzy. Now, take a look at art. What is that? Did somebody just throw a couple of gallons of paint on a canvas? What does it say to you? So we see postmodernism often informing our art. What's true for music, what's true for art, what's certainly true for literature is also true for architecture. An article in The Spectator, suggesting we change the term architecture to mechanotexture. What is a mechanotexture? Plus tax. Mechanotexture architecture. Mechanotexture. There we go, Jimmy. That's one of those words. It sounds like a good try to me. <laughs> you know, news anchors practice words before they go on air. Pfft, what a waste of time that is, <laughs> telling you. A French architect, designer, and urban planner named Charles-Edouard Zanron famously characterized a house as a machine for living in. First of all, ending a sentence with a preposition, a big no-no. Second of all, this fellow identifies architecture as nothing but functional. No form, no worldview, no aesthetic. No touch with our past, just make it work. And so architecture has turned into what this author is calling texture. An artistic creation as well as a building can either uplift and ennoble people or depress and coarsen them. It depends on the mindset of the artist or the architect, they both have the power to shape the mind and behavior of people. Wild paraphrase, but I do believe it was Winston Churchill who said, we design our buildings and then the buildings form us. They shape us. You behave differently in a palace than you do in a... Jimmy, I'm trying to think of a, a building that begins with the letter P. Then, <laughs> then, then in a penthouse suite, ah. then, in, then in a poor person's domicile. That's that's that. pretty much all I got for you architecturally right there. Why do you behave differently? When you're in a room in your house, you behave differently. When we are, we still, I don't know why exactly, but we still have a room that's the room. You, you'll remember this from your grandparents' days. It was the room that had plastic covering all the furniture. Whilst we don't have that, I'll tell you what doesn't typically go on the furniture? Humans! Because we just look at it. It's it's the formal room, and you don't want to go in there and mess it up. So you behave different. If we do go in that room, we, you sit a certain way. You don't bring in beverages. But if we go into the TV room, well, then we slouch, feet go up, popcorn. By the way, we thought that Winnie my daughter's dog, was able to catch popcorn. We just moved the couch and discovered she's not. Most of it isn't going into her mouth. It kind of hits her nose and boinks it forward underneath our couch. Wow. Orville Redenbacher would have said, that's a lot of popcorn under there. Our rooms form our behavior and so does our architecture and the worldview that is being expressed through our buildings these days has a low view of man. Let me take you through the article. I found it fascinating. In parallel with the self-denying renouncement of our religious and political moral traditions, in other words, as we jettison religion in Europe and North America, we've distanced ourselves from the familiar ideals of classical Greco-Roman architecture. We used to think that there was something mathematical about it graceful about it and uplifting about it it said this is a society that is noble this is a special set-apart group of people not long ago it formed an integral part of our culture it used to be our preferred idiom what we set up in the public space had a connection to something that was identified as uplifting for humans. Be- human beings. The way we build our houses and decorate them is not a random expression of technological development. The houses that line the streets and squares in our cities, the monuments and parks, the fountains and statues, to a large extent, help determine our expectations of society and ourselves. What is the current expectation of ourselves? <laughs> That's you. Make someone happy, meaning yourself. You express yourself. Wasn't that a Madonna song? It was. She was reflecting a worldview, wasn't she? You got to be you. You've got to let that thing that's inside of you free to cast off the shackles of Christian oppression and live the way that you want to. That's our view of anthropology today. That's our view of man today, and it is reflected all around us. In its absence, in other words, the concrete high-rises of the suburbs, people are reduced to rotting barnyard animals. Oof. Why don't you let the kids into the fancy part of your house? Because they can't handle it. But you deem an adult. Okay, they know how to behave in this type of setting. And the reverse is also true, that a setting that surrounds a citizen, it either uplifts or it tears down uh, their, their view of self and who we are. Whereas classically educated architects preoccupied with proportions and harmony were once responsible for the design of our private homes, our temples and palaces, the 1920s saw the formation of a culturally hostile, functionalist opposition to the beauty cultivating tradition. Just make it work. Consider communist architecture, that brutal style. It's just nothing but concrete. Under the influence of politically subversive currents characterized by a pronounced dislike of tradition. Hmm. Sound familiar? Everything changed. Lickety split. Control over our immediate surroundings could be seen to be handed over to social engineers who never produced anything but historyless, expressionless, and soulless machines rather than beautiful buildings of lasting importance. It was an experiment. By individuals with no understanding of what is human or a love for others. Everything speaks everything. I know it's being debated. What's being said. Barbie speaks Barbie Bar- Barbie is now the hot topic in our culture. Why? Because they raise questions about it, what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man. Why? Cinderella. have you seen this woman who's apparently played cinderella well it was so old you're not gonna see her needing a man i don't know what that movie's gonna be about but it's all changed why worldview make no mistake about it art music literature architecture it speaks this is wretched radio
2: It's now time for a Wretched News break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. We start today in South Carolina, where the introduction of the state's heartbeat law has led to a 70% drop in abortions at Planned Parenthood facilities. Of course, exceptions are there, but it's clear that the law is making a difference. It's also worth noting that the first full abortion day post-law saw only six abortions in the entire state. Next, Virginia says biology is not bigotry. The attorney general's office has issued a legal opinion affirming that biology-based gender standards in public schools are indeed lawful. According to the opinion, students are to be addressed by their legal names and biological sex, not some choose-your-adventure version of reality. Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church in Canada is expected to be acquitted of all charges for refusing to close his church during the pandemic. After spending 35 days in the clink, more than two years of legal back and forth, a court has decided that the public health orders were outside of the province's power reach. That was pretty clear to the rest of us two years ago. Now now on to Fairness in Sports. A female powerlifter by the name of April Hutchison is none too pleased about a transgender competitor breaking women's records. At a Fox News appearance that went viral, Hutchison blasted the arrangement as unfair and dangerous. She also went on to urge other women to step away if men are going to be allowed to compete in their categories. So I wonder what happens if all the women step away. You have the men's division and the pretend men's division. (laughs) A bit of parenting advice now from USA Today, which actually contains nothing parental or advisable, but the newspaper has decided to tell parents to consider adding contraceptives to their teens' back-to-school supplies. Al Moller from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary criticized the column as nothing but an attempt to redefine parenting while also chipping away at Christian values. Indeed, Dr. Moeller. And lastly, police in India have been sending peculiar questionnaires to at least 40 Christian churches. Why? Well, to mark and persecute, of course. As we tell you so frequently here at Wretched, please make sure you continue to pray for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks.
0: Books of the Bible 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter before his execution. He encourages Timothy to persevere amid suffering. Paul had suffered for the sake of the gospel, but he also knew the beauty and power of the gospel. He charges Timothy to cling to and preach the gospel. When you face opposition, do not fear or be ashamed, but trust God and rely on His Word. This is Wretched Radio
1: with Todd Friel. And how's that working out for you, my secular friend? This is Wretched Radio. Carl Truman, he's an author who's always worth reading. This guy is whip smart, mostly accessible. Sometimes he, a couple of words here and there that force me to go to the Google machine, which seems to be... Kind of a trend these days. Have you been visiting some websites where you look through them and it's like, I can't keep reading this because I don't have the time to Google all of these words that I don't understand. I get it. You're smart already. Call your website, your blog site. We're smarter than you. Fine. And then write at a level, most of us can get. Carl Truman does just that. And he is asking secularists a very important question. How is your worldview working out for you? we are seeing a secular age. We don't need another report from Lifeway or George Barnett to know that Christianity is on the wane in the West. What's replacing it? Nothing, nuns, atheists. And Carl Truman is observing some of those atheists are asking the same question. How is our worldview working out for us? The worldview of atheism, very low anthropology, You're a sea slug that evolved. Congratulations. Does your life have meaning? No. Pitiless indifference. That's the universe you inhabit. Nothing you do will last. Nothing you do has meaning. Why? Because there's no truth. There's nothing transcendent. There's nothing objective. And you are just primordial ooze that somehow got a backbone and walked out of the pond. And now you're here. But presumably, we're going to evolve into something else. I guess, shouldn't we? Why are we so stuck the way that we are right now? Nevertheless, Carl Truman is observing that there are some that are saying, um, our atheism isn't very fulfilling. Well, we know that it can't be. We understand that. To Carl Truman, the point of real contention is the question of what it means to be a human being. Atheists are thankfully asking the questions. What is this about? What is our role? Where are we on the food chain? What's the point? You know, the big teleological questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? Where am I going? Some atheists who aren't just constantly full of fury are looking around and saying, huh, I'm not so sure. This is Carl Truman. The trans moment is the supreme symptom of this. What does it mean to be human? that you can just randomly change your body parts to match what's going on inside of your head. Enabled by the incredible technological innovations of the last 50 years, which have allowed us to think of humanity as something that can and will be transcended, it has brought the fundamental question of what it means to be human to the fore. The reason that we've been spending a fair amount of time on the subject of anthropology is because I think that it can be used very evangelistically. There is something inside of the human heart that realizes uh, there's more to it than this, right? Jimmy, what, uh, what was the kid who won the golf thing? I don't want to get all technical with the sports lingo. It was at Eastlake. I think I went last year. Went to Eastlake. That's the FedEx Cup. This is the big Lollapalooza of golf. Do you know what the third place winner makes for the, for the FedEx Cup? Five million, second place, six point five million. Jimmy, you want to take a guess at the first place prize money for the FedEx Cup? Uh, do not know. Go ahead and guess. You're not going to hit it unless you just get ridiculous on me and wreck the whole thing. Twenty million. You blew it. Eighteen. <laughs> Eighteen million. Eighteen million. Wow. For now, we know more goes into it than just a weekend of golf. But the, the, Nor, the, Nor, the fellow from Norwegia won. And by the way, Jim Nance, if you're listening, doubt it. But if you're listening, you need to repent for your aha reference. Victor Hovland is the Norwegian golf player who won the $18 million at the FedEx Cup at Eastlake in Atlanta, Georgia. And Jim Nance said when he got on the course today, he said to all of the players in the field, take on me. I'm ready for you. Take on me. Uh Take on me. They're from Norwegia too. See what Jim Nance did? Now he needs to repent. And I couldn't help but think. If this young man might not have a David Wheaton moment, you say, what's a David Wheaton? I say, he's a radio program you should listen to. It's a weekly show, Saturday morning, hour long. I don't know anybody who prepares more thoroughly and thoughtfully than David Wheaton. No kidding. It's really good. It's Christian worldview. David Wheaton grew up in a Christian home. He was a professional tennis player. I think, I think his highest ranking was 12. I think he played McEnroe in the semis of Wimbledon. When he retired, he won a Wimbledon title for seniors double. Oh, that hurts, senior doubles. (laughs) But he didn't believe in Jesus when he was a pro player. And then he went to Japan. You may recall this. He played the final match. I think there were only four tennis players in Japan. This was a big deal. He played Michael Chang and beat him. And he won, I think, $3 million. Now, that was like 30 years ago, maybe more. That's a, that's a lot of money today. And everybody celebrated and cheered. And before he could even finish his thank you speech, the auditorium was pretty much emptied. People went home and they went about their lives and he thought, this is it. This is, this is what I've been really just killing myself for. It's so fleeting because money doesn't satisfy ultimately winning a big prize, whether it's golf, tennis, or whatever you desire or like. It just doesn't sound. There is something in the human heart that says there's got to be more than this. And we can ask that question of the atheist because it is increasingly possible that the atheist who has spent more time simmering in his own worldview is feeling that. No, we don't turn the gospel into you've got a God-shaped hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill. But we need to be aware there's an explanation for why they're feeling so empty, Carl Truman, he identified a couple of people that are popular bloggers, et cetera, that are saying, "Ah, non-religious people are starting to have doubts about the ability of the Western secular mind to sustain civilization. An essay by Constantine Kissin, host of a popular dissident podcast called Trigonometry, describes how enamored he once was with the new atheism of Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, Christopher Hitchin, the... Four atheists of the apocalypse, four horsemen of the apocalypse, (laughs) whatever they were called, (laughs) right after 9-11. Now, he calls himself a lapsed atheist, wondering if answers to the most basic questions that societies need to operate, fundamentally what it means to be human, are even possible within the atheist framework. That is that's insightful and instructive and helpful for us when it comes to evangelism. I, can, I could use this. I have used this on university campuses, not as cleverly phrased as Carl Truman does. Hey, what's the point? Why are you here? And, you know, here, just to give you an idea, and I understand it, we're sitting on a university campus. Hey, what, 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 what are you doing here? I'm studying. No, no, no. I mean the planet. <laughs> what what's the point? Well, I'm gonna become a nurse or a teacher. Well, that's your job, but what's the point? And we can use that to explain there is no point without God. Now, does that prove the existence of God? No, it doesn't. But there is, you could, you could try to make the case it does, in that This this longing of the human heart that that says there's got to be more to it than this. It is so universal. It does point to something or someone that is objective, that gives purpose and gives meaning. Carl Truman, what is emerging among some erstwhile left-wing intellectuals today is the realization that atheism, while an interesting theoretical position, Offers nothing to address the deeper questions of life. This is what that, what did the, uh, Kissin' is a dissent podcast. is what they all are these days? The reason new atheism has lost its mojo is that it has no answers to the lack of meaning and purpose. That's anthropology that our post-Christian societies are suffering from. What will fill that void? Anybody? Hearing echoes of Nietzsche, religious people have their answer. Do the rest of us? How's your worldview working out for you, my atheistic friend? Look around. You have to see and realize what is going on in the world. It ain't good. Did you see the story of German daycare promoting sexual exploration rooms where children can play with each other without clothing? It's unbelievable. I can't read it to you cuz it's it's so disgusting. What is that? That ain't Christianity. <laughs> I'll tell you that that ain't that ain't, <laughs> isn't even Islam. That's atheism. That's godlessness. If you're an atheist and you're looking around and you're seeing the world crumble, you gotta ask who's responsible for the toppling of of some of the beautiful things that we used to enjoy. And if you are inside of you wondering, (laughs) might I encourage you to turn away from the four horsemen of the apocalypse and look to the Bible? This is Wretched Radio. $500 per month? If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit MediShare.com slash wretched, MediShare.com wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at eight four four three four bible 844 bible 844 bible
2: Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. You know, without our amazing gospel partners, we would not be able to do what we do. And so for that, we're genuinely grateful. Listen to what one of our listeners, Rebecca, wrote in and said. She said, Your show has helped me better understand my faith more logically and theologically. Now, seriously, that's only because of your ongoing support, gospel partners. We thank you for that. Also, we're members of the ECFA, meaning that we're totally open, we're totally transparent, and totally accountable to you guys. We honor your gifts with faithful support. Stewardship and no frivolous waste. Trust me, we're so serious about that. We gotta bring our own toilet paper to work. Okay, maybe not, but listen, we're not flying around in private jets. We're not taking private car services or catering in fancy meals. We make sure every penny you give goes directly to good use. So if you've been thinking about continuing to stand firm with us, we would be eternally grateful. Visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched!
0: In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the Physician. Jesus healed many physical ailments during his ministry on earth. When he comes again, he will put an end to death and disease and give us spiritual bodies to last for eternity. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Do
1: not shoot. The messenger. Oh, please don't shoot the messenger because the messenger is I. This is Wretched Radio. Just the facts, ma'am. Or man, if you're still into those gender distinctives, a number of theologians on a spectrum from really, really right to very right to more moderate identifying a subtext that is becoming increasingly clear in their opinion that is making its way into the evangelical church. The subject is Christian nationalism. This is the big topic du jour. It's also the big topic of the day And these individual theologians have noticed that there is a component of the conversation about Christian nationalism that is causing them a great deal of consternation. It has to do with ethnicities. It has to do with skin color. And I'm going to share with you what these three sociologists that are Christian, all the way to a Christian theologian, to somebody who would promote some form of Christian nationalism saying, um... It looks like there are some attitudes that we should be rejecting as Christians that are being increasingly promoted and embraced by some, not all, some who are Christian nationalist proponents. Owen Strand, Dr. Owen Strand, you've heard of him. He is in our Wretched Worldview One resource. It's really good, tackles hot button issues. If you need to put the paddles on your adult Sunday school because they just don't talk. I can't get them to engage. Get Wretched Worldview 1 or 2. Wretched Worldview 2 features Dr. Nathan Booznitz. Wretched Worldview 1 features Dr. Owen Stran. Cultural issues considered through a explicitly Christian filter to help us actually have a biblical worldview. It's an outstanding resource. It is at wretched.org. The headlines, a number of people commenting that Owen Strand was busy tweeting about what he sees as a new threat, mono-ethnic Christian nationalism. In other words, a white Christian nationalism. He cites two individuals. Maybe there's more, but he's identifying two. Andrew Torba. Jimmy, do you know what an Andrew Torba is? I do I have not. to confess I didn't either. He's the founder of Gab social media platform, and brace yourself for this, Matt Walsh, who describes himself on his Twitter profile as a theocratic fascist, and Owen Stran is saying, "Um, by the minute, we are smoking out white nationalism, godless ethnocentrism in Christian circles. Uh Uh-oh. On Twitter, Owen Stran is saying we're seeing a form of white nationalism that is growing in popularity. Concerned for some time that racist and anti-Semitic ideas have been finding their way into conservative churches. Uh-oh, that ain't good. Well, let me share with you from this is this is the American Reformer. This is this was an article from a fellow, as best I can tell, uh, who is a, a proponent of some form of Christian nationalism. So he's not hostile, if you're a Christian nationalist, he's not hostile toward you. Uh, I don't know what it takes to be affirmed into the club of Christian nationalism, but I think this fellow leans in that direction. The title of his article is Tradition and Antisemitism. Quote, in light of history, Some, some is pretty vague, but some self-professed advocates for Christian resourcement, the project of recovering dimensions of Christian thought and traditional previously lost to view, have recently started teasing a fateful question. Why not recover the anti-Judaism too? These are folks who are looking back typically through Protestant history. I can't help but observe that the folks who are taking a look back at our Protestant history in order to present some ideas that are pretty shocking about the relation between church and state in our 21st century context. We, like every other generation, were baked in our culture. We we're informed by the way things run. We assume that's the way it ought to be. It ain't just liberal progressives who adopt kind of a, well, clearly we've got this sorted. Old people that are dead or dumb. We can have shades of that ourselves, maybe without expressing it that way. But we think we pretty much, we're as advanced as we can possibly be. Well, hold on, say some. Let's go back and see how the church used to speak about these issues. And I can't help but observe It's rarely a Bible presentation. It is mostly an historic presentation. In fact, I think it was at the American Reformer. The article was Calvin was not the Antichrist. Because let's take a look at Calvin and how did he teach about church state relations? Well, it depends on when you study Calvin, but nevertheless. I couldn't help but notice that the article did a recant a recalling of Protestant history in Europe where church state relations were different than they are in America. And they're looking back and saying, "Hey, look at how they look at Luther, look at Calvin, look at Zwingli and Knox what their attitude was. See how they promoted church involvement in the state and they did." Mm, but why do they focus so often on historical Protestant figures as opposed to the Bible? In my opinion, it's because you can't make a biblical case. It is a case that is typically informed either by a different understanding than the one I possess about the Old Testament and the nation of Israel and how God views other nations and the Mosaic laws and covenant. Mm, but the Bible isn't typically the source for promoting Christian nationalism. Not what I've read, anyway. It tends to be more of, see what these guys said? Look at even the Puritans talked like this, and they did, why? I think it's because they were baked in their culture where the king, where royalty was involved with the church, especially in England. This particular author is identifying those who like to look back and say, look at our Protestant history. We evangelicals, we've lost our way. Take a look at how they used to think. I'm happy to have that conversation. But this fellow from the American Reformer is saying, they're also saying, but what about the anti-Judaism that always existed? And we did see a lot of that. I'm looking at you, Martin Luther, inside of Protestantism. An attitude toward Jewish people. And he's saying, I've noticed that there are people today who are perhaps suggesting maybe that wasn't so wrong. Maybe we should go back to those attitudes. I'm just sharing what I'm reading. There is a third article that I think is worthy of our consideration. Now, this particular issue happens to be from an individual who I would say is more liberal. I picked that up. Now, if, I, if I've got my assessment wrong, I apologize. I'm not trying to be careless. But as best I could tell, he seemed to be a little bit more, let's just say, CRT affirming. Nevertheless, here's the headline. This is from the SL Trib, Salt Lake Trib, I believe. St. Louis Trib. Jimmy, look up the sltrib.com. St. Louis Tribune. Tribune. Is that what it is? I believe so. All righty. That could be Salt Lake. But then it would be the SLC Trib, the greatest threat to Christianity in the United States is not from outside forces, but from within. What is he noticing? Quote, after years of examining Christian nationalism as a social scientist, I'm convinced the greatest threat to Christianity in the U.S. is not outside forces. Instead, it is white Christian nationalism. You say, I'm cherry picking. Okay, I'm just telling you. I, I saw a number of these articles over the last several days that are making the same observation. Are we doing a dive into that? No, I'm just telling you. So don't shoot the messenger. Over and over, I find evidence that the practical fruit of Christian nationalism is something less. This guy's pretty critical of it is less than Christian And he goes into a pretty, pretty strong screed against Christian nationalism. But he writes this, Christian nationalism brings with it a host of cultural assumptions about who really matters and who should be in charge of life in the United States, primarily white Christian citizens. Oh, Christian nationalism is not interested in the government for the people, by the people. I'm just reading it, but rather for a particular people, by a particular people. Hmm. Now, he goes He goes down a path I'm not sharing because that isn't the point. But this fellow who is a professor of sociology at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, is identifying the same thing that Owen Strand and others are noticing. So what do we do with this? Please note, whilst we have read, Uh, some of the comments that have been made by some about ethnic groups, we didn't do a deep dive. I'm not rendering a judgment on anybody. What I am saying is if this many people are saying, hey, this is starting to smell kind of ethnic driven to a degree, shouldn't we all be aware of that as we consider church state relations? I hope we do. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.